Greetings, conspiracy-busting denizens of the internet, and welcome to another episode of Presidential Conspiracy Theories Today. On this installment, your host, who must keep his, her, or its identity secret from those who would silence me because they hate the truth, is talking to Dr. Dabney Nair, author of Grover Cleveland, Two American Lives, question mark? Why the question mark, Dr. Nair, if that is your actual name? It is. A likely story. Anyway. I can show you my birth certificate. <laughs> like I'm going to believe that. Anyway, I noticed you haven't told me why you added the question mark to your title. What are you hiding? How ashamed I am at pandering to paranoiacs like you. What was that? Uh... How inflamed I am at the slandering of patriots like you, who are open-minded enough to listen to my theory that the Republican Party kidnapped and murdered Cleveland on his own yacht in the summer of 1893 and replaced him with a look-alike who governed so badly that the GOP was guaranteed to take Congress in 1894 and the presidency in 1896. Oh, what evidence did you uncover? It's there, if you just have the courage to see it. His first term was a resounding success, and his second term was an unmitigated disaster. It can't have been the same man. Oh, well, well, that's good enough for me. Glad to hear it. Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. D.B. Comedy presents The Electables Presidential Sketch Comedy and History For people who can't afford Hamilton Today, President 24, Grover Cleveland? Thank you for enjoying D.B. Comedy presents The Electables If you would like to keep supporting us please consider a donation or tip. Go to fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy Presents the Electables, and leave us a gift. Your donation is tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law and will be used to keep us on the air and in the algorithms. Thank you. And we have gathered again because it is what we do at the DB Comedy. Our favorite pair of Americanists are here. Um, Mr. McRae, shout out for your your fans. Uh, once again, joining you uh, from beautiful Charlotte, Michigan, I am James McRae, uh, teacher of social studies, 7th through 12th grade for the Saranac Community Schools. Um, and excited to be here to talk about some more obscure 19th century presidents. And yeah. <laughs> last ones. Yeah, that's right. Because we're by the time we're ending the century. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Doctor, <laughs> but not that kind of doctor, unless you're talking about social construct doctor. Yeah, that's the only kind of useful doctor that I am. Uh, hello, Chelsea Denault, uh, public historian. Joining you from beautiful Lansing, Michigan, East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, yeah. And from various spots in and around Chicago, Illinois. I'm Joe. I'm Paul. I'm Sandy. I'm Sylvia. 
And I'm Patrick. Then Joe, when you get down to it, isn't health just a social construct in and of itself? Everything's a social construct. <laughs> Body, bodies don't exist. Diseases aren't real. Lately, health is a philosophical construct because it's just an abstraction. Hey, we're back. No, I mean, really, we're back. Not only is it the same people that were talking about Grover Cleveland a couple episodes before, it's still Grover Cleveland, and it's still the same people. So we think you know who we are. Um, Enjoy our yeah. non-consecutive voices. Yeah, so we were... <laughs> back, just so, like Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> so Grover Cleveland again. How the First of all, how the... what? I think I asked this in the first episode, in the previous Cleveland episode, but how did Cleveland lurk around long enough during Benjamin Harrison's presidency that they thought, hey, why don't you come back? We missed you. He made some powerful friends in his first presidency. And when he had some time on his hands, he was able to say, hmm, I think I'll stick around, you know, prosecute a few big law cases, make a few speeches. He did, he kind of trumped his way through, you know, his, Ugh. through the through the uh, Cleveland interregnum by saying, I, although he was classier than Trump, yeah, big challenge. He made speeches about the government policy without directly criticizing Harrison. Classier than Trump has to be the most, like, side- bar to, uh, to sliver. <laughs> <laughs> well, he tried class oh, no, 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 and them all. Yes, but we're we're also continually Was he like working Nixon, in the. I'm tan. I'm ready. I'm rested. And we're oh. continually working in the word interregnum into our discussion, which I'm so yes. proud of as a producer. Thank yes, you. Yes, I, I think classier than Trump goes in with uh, less paranoid than Richard Nixon, um, <laughs> less less rotund than William Howard Taft, as um, aware as Reagan. Although, like, barely, like, Grover Cleveland is actually our second heaviest president. Yeah, I can think of why does Taft get all the jokes? Cleveland because was a big man. We're talking about the influence yeah. of the We were talking about the mass media, and, you know, there was film. Mass media? <laughs> oh. Uh, all right, there, nobody shaming. There was. <laughs> There was film of Taft. I mean, that's why people wanted to. That's why he would attract crowds when he went to the uh, when he would swim. But well, uh, Cleveland, I think, I think some of it's also just people are jealous because he had a four man tub, and no, and everyone's else just. Oh, I never thought to ask for that. <laughs> um, the ninety two convention younger. was in Minneapolis, I believe, and I think Cleveland took it in two ballots. There was no serious opposition to him. The Democrats well, didn't have much of a farm team when it came to presidents or people in high right, office. This is when you're out of power. This is what happens is that you don't have a long political bench. Cleveland, he won the popular vote. Even even in loss, he had proven the ability to win and to create a unified enough party to present a competitive ticket. And so when you don't have a lot of other great options... Uh, why not go with the guy who uh, won before? And so that's that's what they did. Meanwhile, there was a dump Harrison campaign within the Republican Party led by, well, it was inspired by his former Secretary of State, James Blaine, that, you know, continental liar from the state of Maine. 
And so, oftentimes I think, you know, there's kind of the sense that, you know, we need to run the guy who's least likely to screw it up, also known as the Joe Biden option. And so <laughs> this is what I think, that, you know, for the Democrats in in uh, 92 here, they're like, OK, we we just need to run the guy who's not going to screw this up because the Republicans are kind of imploding here. You know, the economy's not looking real good. They're not unified between on Harrison if they ever were unified on Harrison. So Cleveland's kind of the guy the who can steady the ship here. And, and Cleveland uh, kind of was post- the last, the only Democratic president who didn't have his ass kicked dur- during that. Like he actually won, and so that was a big deal. Right for, for, for a few Samuel people. Tilden, but you know, we've- yeah. <laughs> right before, I don't know if it was very late in the Cleveland and in the Harris administration are very early in, you know, Cleveland part two in the recleave. It's got to be a better term for it. <laughs> a, very, a major railroad collapsed and that triggered the panic of 1893. Yeah. Which was on top of a, a lot of, of 1892. <laughs> I mean, I believe. It was, things weren't bad, all that great in 1893 ever either, <laughs> but, uh, some railroads went into receivership and they were actually under government ownership. One more rationale for, for the Grover Regnum <laughs> to, inter, to interfere in the Pullman strike because he figured that since the mail, the most, you know, the most important media at the time, the most important of uh, government responsibility at the time, since that was being endangered by those, you know, dangerous strikers who didn't want to live on a dollar a day. That justified federal interference in the Pullman strike. Black Friday! Black Friday! Black Friday! Thanks to a failed wheat crop and an unsuccessful government coup in Argentina, two out of three railroad companies in this country have failed, and we're passing the savings on to you! you. Philadelphia and Reading Railroad, everything must go! go. Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe, everything must go. go! Union Pacific, Northern Pacific, it all has to go! go. And as unemployment skyrockets and many are left homeless, we're offering doorbuster and union buster prices. We're selling stocks by the pound. For the price of a medium-sized wagon, you could own your own railroad. There's just one catch. You must pay gold. Silver prices have dropped so low that we're using it to fill dental cavities. What a waste! And the first 300 customers can raid the warehouse of the National Cordage Company full of thousands of bales of rope. What will the newly unemployed bankers do to themselves with free rope? We don't know, and we're not going to judge. But these deals are only good on Industrial Black Friday. Everyone must go! Huh? Oh, everything, everything must go! Brought to you by the Sherman Silver Purchase Act and the second best Harrison to hold a presidency. The American government is not responsible for the after effects of the Great Crush of 1893. Be there! And a lot of that centered around the Pullman cars. And... The whole, which, which in and of itself, again, for those of you, I mean, some of you are probably history, you're a nerd, so you may be aware anyway, but uh, the Pullman company and the Pullman Porter cars, 
of which there is actually still a Pullman village here in Chicago that you can tour. Grew up near it. It, what a crazy national park y'all yeah mm-hmm. it is an absolutely amazing in uh, amazing thing because george pullman the owner boy he did something that we would sure call socialist in building this little town where people could live and at least in theory people could thrive while building and and the a lot of pullman porters of course were were african-american uh, phenomenally progressive in the era. Although, well, for certain, for certain really. definitions. Okay, Sylvia, you can take it. <laughs> it, was it, it. It was more like I, we want to show a, a demarcation between the haves and the have-nots and giving you that sense that you've got these people who are waiting on you, so you can't really confuse them for white people. We it want to have that kind of a, a plantation kind of, feel, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and the first Pullman part is before you start championing George Pullman as a progressive, <laughs> they did not get salaries. No. They worked for tips. Yes. My point, though, is the public face of the Pullman, port, of the Pullman company was, to some extent rather progressive particularly for the era or I think, again uh, or, utopian I might be corporate paternalism. corporate paternalism should not be confused with you know uh, yeah. right and so mm-hmm. this was this was the playbook of many corporations mm-hmm. uh, you know i and i was just up in in, in calumet michigan right and so the mm-hmm. uh, uh, to this day right i i think i the you know i Calumet, uh, you know, was a copper mining area right up in the Keweenaw Peninsula. And of course, the the town was actually named Red Jacket. It mm-hmm. renamed itself Calumet, which was the name of the mine, the name of the company that mm-hmm. owned the mine, the Calumet Hecla Mining Company, which tells you something about like where the priorities were. Like we're going to rename our town after the business that, you know, made it important. Um and there were company tough. I'm, I am being quite facetious. Right, um, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, but I, I think that for our listeners, we need to, you know, they need to understand that many corporations in this era tried to kind of show that they had a human face, that they were invested in, uh, in their communities by building libraries, by building theaters, by mm-hmm. putting money back in, by providing housing for workers, by basically trying to show that they were you know, people who were nice people who you shouldn't be mad at. And I think the fact that there were still strikes, right, that that the workers said, you know what, sure, you've given us a place to live. You've, you know, but it's still not great, right? Like, we're still not being paid a lot. We still don't have a lot of say in what our hours are. Um, the money you give to us in salary, we pay right back to you in rent because the Pullman employees were not allowed to own those homes. They had to rent it and they had to pay their rent through the Pullman Corporation. And and the money that they were paid was only usable in Pullman. Which of course, <laughs> which of course is why if there's somebody that comes by that might help that says you know i think i can help you and that person is someone that might have a little bit of skill and a little bit of personal attraction by the name of eugene debs running the american railway railroad union and he says you know the way you can make this town really better is to make it a union town i mean i think all you need to know about george pullman 
is that he was so hated that when he died, they buried him in a lead-lined coffin in a block of cement, twelve feet down, in a in a cement uh, vault filled in with asphalt and tar paper with more cement and then steel railroad ties built on top of it because they were convinced people would dig up and deface his corpse. Yep. Right. And and it's also... And and I do want to point out that while we are talking about that, that Pullman building a town for his workers to live in in order to create this sense of like utopia and happiness and and peace it's only for white folks right mm-hmm. like there are some still some stark divides going on and uh, if i can point something out yay eugene debs and the and the american railway union this was not his idea but the american railway union itself voted to stay white yep. they did not yep. let the porters organize they did not let the porters join the union or the strike and that would have been determinative if and, they had allowed the frontline employees. Although it is, it is true that the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which was the uh, union in Pullman, was actually the largest African American uh, union for most of the 20th century, I think. Yeah, but uh, they organized in 1924. And, and when debs try to organize the railroad the railroad union it didn't actually work so pull so debs then calls for a national boycott of various railroad rail lines that does start to work and i think that's where grover cleveland enters the picture no right uh yeah this time there was not just a pullman strike there was a general dissatisfaction, economic dissatisfaction in the country that was, uh, you know, had the more skittish among us, fearing that, you know, the nation was lapsing into anarchy. There was Coxie's army, which is, you know, 400 nice people led by a man who just wanted to build better roads uh, coming into Washington and getting arrested because they trespassed on capital property and they were a lot gentler than other mobs we could mention. <laughs> so the Pullman was really just the tip of the tip of the spear right of the social of the proletarian revolution. But there were there were boycotts, there were rail lines being obstructed, there were strike breakers many of whom were blacks which was also true in our previous episode when we were talking about the homestead strike in Pennsylvania. That's where a lot of, a lot of that's, which ironically is where a lot of black workers started to both get industrial experience and get a little, get a sense of unionism. But again, enter Grover Cleveland. And how does he deal with all this y'all? He sends the army. Send in the army. Mr. Cleveland. Oh, come in, my sweet little Adlai Stevenson. Come in, come in. I was just writing my name at the bottom of this bill, even though it already has its own name. Right, little Bill? That's what I've come to talk to you about, Grover. Are you sure you want to kowtow to labor like this? It could upset the order of the whole country. Oh, nonsense. Our nation was built by great and powerful men. 
titans of capitalism. Oh, of course. I remember the titans. Would they really want us to allow the tail to wag the dog thusly? Why such a big frown, Cillier? I know the Pullman strike wasn't popular, but you can't just stop intervening in these disputes when it's no longer convenient. Big business needs a champion, especially after Harrison let them get Sherman's antitrust act through the goalposts. Oh, do not worry about the great big nasty Pullman strike. I'm not going to stop intervening. You're not? No, no, no. I will make sure those worky men do their worky work, even if I have to use both my armies and one of my leggies. <laughs> Uh, you're sure you're not just giving in to public pressure? Oh, you have my word. I will send troops to clear out strikes anywhere Pinkertons charge too much money for murder. After all, if the worky men don't want scabs to stay, they shouldn't picket them so much. But, uh, but the labor reformers... Oh, they don't know what they want, sweet Adeline. If they want to limit work hours, we will pay them hourly. If they want breaks, we will make them mandatory and unpaid. And the Senate Commission on Shaming the Poor has coined the term job creators, so workers will feel they really owe something to the bossman. So what does labor get out of this? One day off in September. And it's a Monday. A Monday that means summer's over, and even little kitties will be back to work soon. What will the rich do on that day, sir? We're white and complain. And there are like, and these this time it's it's not just in Pullman, but it's there are national riots. There is, I mean, that the army goes everywhere. I, I, the this is a statistic I saw were seventy people killed throughout the country. Debs thrown into jail. Wonder whatever happened to him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh, he oh, he'll return. I know, I know. I'm fully yes. We should log him in uh, in our future episode of Perennial Losers along with Henry Clay. Good point. Oh, sure. Yeah. Although, yeah. And um, it doesn't help Grover that much, does it? Doesn't really help the country that much either, does it? All I that. mean, it's one of the, and, and this is getting away from, from Grover Cleveland, but it's one of the reasons why the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893 is such a roaring success is people just wanted an escape from labor unrest and from uh, economic uh, issues and right. Like this is it's escapism at its finest. Uh, and which Grover think- helped open the exposition by and sat down to a five course meal right afterwards. <laughs> and the organizer of the Columbian exposition is a Michigander. You're welcome. <laughs> Oh, but girl, oh, and by the way, we forgot one other thing that uh, happened as a result of all this. Labor Day. Yes. Grover gave us Labor Day in 1894. Boy, so that, that helped him, didn't people. it? So that we wouldn't have to share May Day with those dirty That's communists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, throw labor a bone. That's right. We and only killed was, 70 of them. And there was never them. any more labor unrest in America again. Womp womp. <laughs> womp womp womp. Okay. I was wounded fighting for my country, and now I'm a morphine addict living in an alley. The crops on my farm all failed last year, and now I'm too poor to even buy seeds. I work 13 hour shifts in a factory six days a week. 
and my boss just docked my pay. We, we need, need help. help. Look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a furry blue zeppelin. It's Cowabunga! Super Grover! Oh, and I am cute, too. Can you help us with our problems, Super Grover? Of course. I can help all of you, all at the same time, because I am not just brave and honest. I am president. But I need medical treatment and a pension. And I need lower tariffs and crop insurance. And I need an eight-hour workday and a minimum wage. And I, Super Grover, need to teach you nice people the proper role of government. You see, the people must support the government, but the government must not support the people. That makes no sense. Oh, sure it does. Now, form a nice pyramid, please. Okay, I'll be on the bottom, like farmers always are. Didn't need to know that. Anyway, I should get on top, because as a dope fiend, I weigh the least. I'd be insulted, but you're even skinnier than me, and I live on breadcrumbs and gravy. Oh, what a cute little pyramid you make. Anyway, you, Mr. Farmer, Mr. Veteran, and Miss Laborer are the people, and I, Super Grover, am the government. Now watch as I climb to the very tippy top. Watch where you put your hands, Buster. What do you think I am, Maria Halpin? You better hope not, unless you want to wind up in the Providence Lunatic Asylum. I wouldn't mind that. At least I'd have a bed. Ta-da! Here I am, President Super Grover, supported by the people. See now how nicely I am balanced? It is because I am not running a deficit or a surplus. But President Supergrover, you're balancing the budget on the backs of the poor. Au contraire, I am balancing the budget on the backs of everybody, because the government cannot play favorites. All Americans must be treated equally. Then why can't I vote? Oh, enough with these silly questions. <laughs> uh, let me demonstrate the opposite principle. Now I will climb down. I ain't been groped this much since Reverend Brian baptized me in the south branch of the Platte. Well, that's a new term for it. Oh, please tell me at least one of you is single. Now it is your turn to climb on me. It'll be my pleasure. You're a sick man. Oh, here I am, President Super Grover, all by my lonesome. Hmm, I wonder if there are farmers who I should subsidize with grants and interest-free loans. There surely are. Here, I'll hop right up on your back. Uh. Oof, oh. Oh, but, uh, but wait! We, we cannot allow those poor veterans of the big nasty civil war to starve. Perhaps I should start a pension program for them! Oh, at long last! I'll just grab a spot on your right oh, arm! Oh, 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 and, and, oh, oh, and I know there are people slaving away in, oh, dangerous conditions uh, for almost no uh, money! Oh. Why don't I? Oh, why don't I just uh... establish a labor department? Left arm, here I come! Oh, 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 oh the people are getting awfully heavy. Oh, I, I don't think I can. I don't think I. Uh, uh, ah! Ouch! I feel harder than wheat prices in '73. 
Good thing I'm too sedated to feel any pain. There's two weeks off work with no sick pay. <gasps> so you see, when the government is overburdened by trying to support the people, it crashes and everybody hurts. So what have we learned? Hmm? That the people... Must support the government. Ah, but the government... Must not support the people. We'll just let the free market take care of us. Oh, and I am sure it will do a very nice job. Anyway. There you are, Super Grover. Thought I heard your voice. Oh, oh um, um, hello, Mr. Trust. Uh, anyway, I hope that you nice Americans have learned the value President of Super Grover, I'm late for a shareholders meeting on Wall Street. Can you fly me there? Oh, I hope you nice Americans have learned the value of self-sufficiency. Mr. Trust, this is not the right time. Well then, I suppose it's not the right time for me to contribute to your campaign fund. Maybe Mr. McKenna. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Hop on my back. Oh. oh, for a tiny elite, you are awfully weighty. Anyway, congratulations, all you ordinary Americans, on becoming self-reliant and not seeking help from the government. Yep, now we know we're too poor to ask for handouts. Oh, thank you so much for understanding. Now, Mr. Trust, hold on tight, because I will fly you to Wall Street! Cowabunga! I should have seen that crash coming. Oh. Can we talk about... The flimsiness of the whole states' rights doctrine. No one actually believes in states' rights that they, oh. they just use it as an excuse. I mean, Cleveland in 1890s, he's a Democrat. He is with the party of states' rights. And when the governor of Illinois says, no, we can handle the strike in Chicago on our own, the governor was John Peter Altgeld, a very pro-labor, pro-union, progressive Democrat. He says, no, don't send the troops. Grover says, Oh, fuck that! In Grover voice, Patrick does it better than me, and sends the troops who start oh. killing American citizens. The fuzzy blue monster does not curse. He would say, <laughs> oh no! Oh! Ah. <laughs> uh. Dr. Joseph Bryant, I presume. I mean, I'm Robert O'Reilly, the White House physician. I want to thank you for meeting me so quickly and for your discretion in this matter. So it's true then? President Cleveland has cancer in his jaw? Uh, yes, I'm afraid it is the dread disease. And in the midst of this economic panic and the debate over silver coinage, the president is worried that undergoing surgery might shake the nation. So we need to get in, get the tumor, and get out. All without anyone seeing us? Oh, that's the long and short of it. The president seemed to think you'd be just the man for the job. He thought right. I'll have that tumor out without ruffling a hair on his mustache. Here's the plan. The president announces that he'll be taking a boat ride on his friend's yacht from New York to Cape Cod for a little R&R. What he won't say is that on board will be the finest team of surgeons and extractionists in the world. 
You want to perform the surgery on a moving boat? Think about it. A boat's the last place anyone would suspect a surgery. You understand why that is, right? So I'll disguise myself as First Lady Frances Folsom Cleveland. Why? And sneak on board. Nobody knows who you are. Where my team will be waiting. The world's greatest safecracker. A Filipino contortionist called the Manila Folder. The toughest boxer on the East Coast. Why would you possibly need these people to perform surgery? Eh, I probably don't need them, per se, but rounding up the squad is a lot of fun. Uh, sir, I must stop you. This is pure hysteria. The team and the disguise don't even make sense, and you can hardly expect a yacht at sea to encounter calm waters for the four hours you would need to perform the surgery. That's why I'll finish the whole thing in 90 minutes. 90? Are you insane? Operating that quickly will surely kill the president. You suggest treason, sir. Oh, the president won't be in any danger, because the whole surgery is a smokescreen. I performed the real surgery two weeks ago and replaced the real tumor with a decoy. I... that's... really? No, we're still going to have to do my boat plan. But that would have been a great twist, right? Populist Party had pretty much merged with the Democrats by that point, would you not say? And so there was no well, way. I mean, Brian is kind of the guy who 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 brings them there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the populist the populist party existed and nominated William Jennings Bryan as their as their candidate in 1896. I mean, that was kind of the moment where William Jennings Bryan. It, it kind of like these, you know, if you go back to the Middle Ages, people who become like the king of Spain and the king of Austria at the same time, like it creates a political union uh, because they happen to be wearing both crowns at once. Here, William Jennings Bryan is going to be wearing the nomination of the populists and the Democrats simultaneously um, to be president. So, yeah. And and yeah, so it's, and it's- Brian becomes the guy. And, you know, I think. Any most most people, and I think when, when I'm addressing this group, I'm addressing people who, for the most part, are are left of center progressives, almost down the line. We're going to find things that we we like and dislike in both Brian and McKinley, as we've had all, in all dislike, all dislike on Brian. I hate him. <laughs> um, Chelsea and I are going to have a, a smackdown. It'll be fun. Uh, see, I like I like the King's metaphor because I feel like William Jennings Bryan would have hated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Download. Uh, okay, so and it's, the, it's pretty certain that uh, Cleveland voted for McKinley. <laughs> Get me out of here. Okay, we will Keep see you in the next episode here. for the uh, Molten Deneau Shakedown. Oh yeah, and William Jennings Bryant. No, and a quick revisit to Chelsea. Obviously, you're going to get equal time here too. Quick revisit to Paul's Book Club. Patrick, do the theme song. Paul's Book Club. I almost forgot the tune. <laughs> uh, the Edge of Anarchy. The Railroad Barons, The Gilded Age, and The Greatest Labor Uprising in America by James Kelly. Really good book uh, about the Pullman strike. There we go. Chelsea, you got another wreck? I mean, I know that this isn't being recorded on the podcast, but we are in my office. So we have here the many books that I had to read for my PhD. Here's Chelsea's book club. 
maybe, <laughs> actually, maybe when we do have that as a podcast, I will put a chair right here and I will randomly select a book. There you off go. And we, that's All right. what we we're talking about. Kelsey's book club. Kelsey's book club. For, all right. Ryan, but otherwise, okay. So I think for the fifth time, next <laughs> podcast for sure. This time, definitely, William McKinley. DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written, produced, and performed by Gina Bucola, Sandy Baikowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joy, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tani Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClure. Audio production by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's host page on simplecast.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy or Democracy Burlesque. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to like.